Amen. All right. Notice what it says in verse 13. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath He quickened together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. So what I'm going to be talking about tonight, I'm going to be continuing a subject that started two weeks ago on what Old Testament laws should still be followed. So we're on part two of this. And it's important that you go back if you haven't heard, if you didn't hear the message from two weeks ago, that you listen to that message. I'm trying to teach basic concepts that we need to understand about the law in order to figure out which ones we're supposed to follow. And I was showing last uh, two weeks ago just kind of the purpose of some laws, showing how some things always were bad. Okay, there are some things that were always bad, always will be bad. It's always been wrong to murder people even before thou shalt not kill. It always will be wrong to murder somebody and to kill somebody. And But there are some things in the Bible that were part of the law that were what we would call ceremonial laws. They were, uh, they were carnal ordinances is what the New Testament often calls them that we would all agree, that we would all say are done. These things are finished. And people, when we often bring up certain things from the Old Testament that the Bible says was an abomination like homosexuality, people often start saying, well, do you still wear mixed fabrics and eat shellfish? How many's ever heard that before? I've heard it about 45,000 times just this last year. Okay, You say you're exaggerating. Not if you count YouTube comments. I have heard that about, I mean, a zillion times. And it's just pure ignorance. And I expect that ignorance from the gay theist and the fag theist and people like that. But what aggravates me is when Baptists say it too. And I... You know, I didn't really think Baptists needed this, but Baptists do need this. Okay, and uh, I hope to teach you another concept tonight that will help you understand what things are finished. Because obviously, we we cannot go through all of them. There are so many. There are just chapters upon chapters of ceremonial things that the Bible talks about. But I think if we understand the purpose of these ceremonial things, just like we looked at the purpose of many of the laws, that you know, the civil laws when it comes to the death penalty, I tried to show why those things were important, why they mattered, why we still need those things. If we understand the purpose of the ceremonial things, I think it will make it clear when we're reading the Scriptures which ones we need to worry about and which ones we don't. Okay, So, first off, I think it's important that we understand... This word ordinance. Notice in verse 14, it says that he, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us. Okay? There are some things Jesus blotted them out. That's what the Bible says. I mean, he blotted these things out. It says he nailed these things to his cross. So it's very clear there are some things in the Old Testament that we don't need to worry about today. In fact, if you jump down to verse um, 20, 
It says, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not. It sounds like here, he does not want us getting caught up in ordinances. But yet, there's other passages that say, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Here he's telling us not to follow ordinances. Other passages he tells us to submit to ordinances. What's the difference here? The difference is there are there's different kinds of ordinances. There's civil ordinances, there are ceremonial ordinance ordinances. I'm going to show you some examples of this in a little bit. So we have there's different type there's religious ordinances that there that are traditions. And if we understand these things, it'll help us to understand which ones we should follow. Because we should follow civil law, shouldn't we? But should we follow ceremonial law? In this, because in this passage here, when he's telling you to touch not, taste not, handle not, and he's talking about ordinances, he doesn't want somebody coming along and saying, if you want to get saved, you have to keep the Passover. Or, if you want to get saved, you must be circumcised like they dealt with in the book of Acts. That was something that came up. People were teaching that. They were imposing an Old Testament ordinance, making it a way of salvation on these New Testament Christians. And the apostles came together and they agreed, no, that is not a part of salvation. We are not going to teach that. But yet there were still some ordinances, you could say, that they gave to the church. For example, they said, well, we're not going to tell these people they have to keep the law in order to be saved. What, what did they tell them? But make sure you instruct them to avoid fornication, abstain from pollution of idols, and don't eat the blood. Okay. Now, did they say you had to do all those things to be saved? No. But, it was an ordinance in the church that you don't do those things. Alright? So there's a difference between something that's a part of salvation versus something that's just a part of the church. Y'all understand that? Just like you all have ordinances in your house. Okay? Those are, there are rules and things that you have. They're good. But, and, and as a church, we are allowed to have some rules, we are allowed to have some ordinances. And those are fine as long as we don't make those ordinances a way of salvation. Okay, But let's look at the definition of an ordinance. And this is Webster's 1828 definition, and it uses some Scriptures. And we're going to look at those Scriptures. It says, An ordinance is a rule established by authority, a permanent rule of action. An ordinance may be a law or statute of sovereign power. In this sense, it's often used in Scriptures. And then it gives four references. Or, uh, four references. We'll look at those in a minute. But it's also an observance commanded, something to be remembered, like the Lord's Supper. That's an ordinance that we follow. <clears throat> an appointment, an established rite or ceremony, and it uses Hebrews 9.1. And it says in this sense, baptism and the Lord's Supper are denominated ordinances. Okay? So, what I hope to do, once again, I hope I don't confuse everybody, I hope I can get through all this tonight. We see... They tried to. There were Judaizers who tried to impose Old Testament ordinances on the New Testament church, and we see the Apostle Paul saying, "Don't be subject to ordinances." But yet we also see Paul teaching about ordinances in the church, like baptism and the Lord's Supper. So it's like, do we follow ordinances? We don't follow ordinances. There's different kinds, and if we understand the purpose of these, 
and why they are there and what they are for, I believe it will be very easy for us when reading ordinances in the Bible to know which ones we're supposed to follow and which ones were nailed to the cross. That's it. And so, hopefully, we'll, we're, we're going to try to do that tonight and see what happens. So let's look at a few verses here. So uh, Exodus 15, verse 25. This is one Webster used. It says, And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. And when he had cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statue and an ordinance, and there he proved them. And said, If thou wilt diligently hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. So God gave him an ordinance here. He gave him a command. What was this command? What was this ordinance? That if you don't do any of these things, if you'll keep all these statutes, I won't let any of the plagues of Egypt come upon you. Okay? This was, this was an ordinance. It was something they did back then. In Numbers 10.7 it says, But when the congregation is to be gathered together, ye shall blow, but ye shall not sound an alarm. And the sons of Aaron, the priests, shall blow with the trumpets, and they shall be to you for an ordinance forever throughout your generations. This call to the assembly, the blowing of the trumpets that the Levites were supposed to do, God said, I want you to do that forever. Now, anybody remember the last time we blew a trumpet before church? Now, if you think we ought to blow trumpets before church, the Shalom Assembly of Yahweh outside of Sterling, they're a Hebrew roads church, they blow not a silver trumpet like in the Bible, they blow a lame shofar. Okay, a lot of churches are doing. They're blowing the shofars. What are they doing? They're following this ordinance. Should they be following this ordinance? Well, here's a problem. They're not Levites. Okay, this was for the Levites to do. They are not Levites. You see, Jesus Christ replaced the priesthood, didn't he? So we don't do these Levitical ordinances. Okay, we don't have Levites today. Jesus Christ is the high priest. We have a priesthood of the believer. So there is nothing that we need a priest to do for us. Okay? And the New Testament spells that out for us. So we're not going to blow a trumpet to sound an assembly. Most of you where you live wouldn't hear it. In fact, all of you wouldn't hear it. Aaron, may, I think Aaron's the closest one to the church geographically. If we really blew it loud, he might... He might hear it. I don't know. But uh, you know, we're not doing that. And these Hebrew roots churches are a joke. Right? But anyway, uh, look at what it says in... Uh, which one did I leave off on? I lost, I lost my spot. Look at, uh, look at Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. In verse 1. Let me turn over there. I don't think I, I might have to break this sermon up into two parts unless you all got a lot of time on your hands tonight. No, I'm, I'm going to try to get this. It says, Then verily, the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. Are we under the first covenant or the second covenant? We're under the second covenant. Do we have a worldly sanctuary? No. Okay, we don't have these things. For there was a tabernacle made the first, wherein was the candlestick, the table of showbread, which is called the sanctuary, after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all. It's naming all these things that it had in it. Jump down to verse 
Um, six, now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle, accomplishing the service of God. Okay, the service that was a part of the first covenant. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people, the Holy Ghost. This signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as at the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect, as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and divers' washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of the Reformation. Okay, right here. And note, what is it that all these morons say when we bring up civil laws from the Old Testament and death penalty? Even idiot Baptists, what do they say? You all still do sacrifices to animals? No. You know why? Because the Bible in the New Testament told us not to. And it never tells us in the New Testament to throw out the death penalty. It never tells us to do this. And I just, I just put a clip up because I, I just wanna, I'm admitting I stole this illustration. All right? Pastor Shelley, he used a great illustration where it's like if you got a new boss at work and the new boss instituted a different dress code. Maybe it was... You, he's, you know, I'm, I'm stealing this whole thing. You, know, you wore a shirt and tie on Fridays, but the new boss institutes casual Friday. says so you don't have to wear the tie. You can dress casual on Friday. And then some other guy comes in on Friday and he shows up late. And then everybody's like, why are you here late? You're, not, you're supposed to be on time. And he says, the new boss said we don't have to wear ties anymore. Because he changed the law, now all the laws go out. It's like, no, he never said you could show up whenever you want. He just said you didn't have to wear the ties anymore. But what do these morons do today? They see that the sacrifices are finished. Jesus said you don't have to do the, you don't have to do the sacrifice anymore. And they said, oh good, the death penalty has gone. That's ridiculous. Anything that we throw out, for lack of a better term, is because God told us to. Because Jesus finished those things. And notice these things, he spells it all out here. These things were in meats and drinks and divers washing. Do you eat shellfish? Yes. You know why? Because it tastes good. And I don't and he finished those things. We don't have those carnal ordinances imposed on us. So bring on the bacon, bring on the shrimp. And you know what I love it when Baptists say, Do you eat shellfish? Show me where shellfish is in the Bible. That's not that's not the King James turn. So where do they get that? It's because they're reading atheist websites out there is what they're doing. These ceremonial things were a shadow of what was to come. And it came. And it said they were temporary to the time of the Reformation. But Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is not to say not to this building. If anybody asks you, why aren't you all meeting in the tabernacle? Why don't you all do these sacrifices? Because Jesus Christ replaced the tabernacle with a better tabernacle, one not made with hands. It was His body. So we're not going to do those things. Neither by the blood of goats and of calves, but by His own blood, He entered once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of the heifers, sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh. How much more? 
shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this cause, He is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So Jesus finished that for us. And you know what? I'm never going to get through this whole message tonight, so I'm just going to enjoy myself and I'm just going to talk about some stuff that I want to talk about. Right? Because think about this. All right? I'm going old life beast style. I'm going off script. and I'm just going to tell stories. I'm going to chase some rabbits tonight because I'm never going to get through this message. But one of the preachers, I don't remember who was preaching, they mentioned something. They were talking about it is finished at the conference this week. Does anybody remember who was talking about it is finished? Who was it? Pastor Liddell. Yeah, Pastor Liddell was talking about it. And when he said something about it, it just hit me about how we there is such a finality to what we teach about salvation. I mean, do you all realize, and this is confusing to a lot of religions and to a lot of, and to a lot of the world. I mean, we literally, we go and we give people the Gospel, they believe it, they call on the Lord for salvation, and then we, we rejoice. I mean, us, today and here, we are sitting around enjoying the fact that we are going to heaven. Why? Why? You know, how can you be so sure? How can you be so sure that you're going to heaven? I mean, don't we have to endure to the end? Don't we have to persevere? Don't we have to make sure you know we stay you know we stay strong in the faith that we don't abandon our faith? Why is it that you all are able to just go and say that you're saved and then just be thrilled with that and happy with that? I'll tell you why. Because when Jesus was on the cross, He said, it is finished. He said, it is finished. And, I, and it just hit me. I was like, when, and I, I hope I can verbalize this right. When I, heard, when I was thinking about Jesus saying those words, it is finished. Understand what He's talking about. The work for our salvation that needed to be done, He finished it. So, the reason there's such a finality to the salvation that we teach, because there is a once saved, always saved that we teach, we are able to say that because Jesus finished it. Okay, yes, we do need to endure to the end, but Jesus did it for us. Yes, we do need to be baptized, but Jesus did it for us. Yes, we do need to keep every one of those Old Testament laws, but Jesus did it for us. Do you all get that? That's why He said, it is finished. Alright, so if you weren't circumcised on the eighth day, guess what? You did get it circumcised the eighth day because Jesus did. He did it for you. Well, I never did any of those sacrifices. Yeah, but Jesus did it for you. He did every bit of it. Any law that people want to bring up from the Old Testament, I'll say, yeah, I did it. You know why? Because Jesus said, it is finished. When it comes to the Sabbath day, oh, well, do you keep, still keep the Sabbath day today? And we've got some verses about the Sabbath day if we ever get to them that we're going to look at. You know, you Christians, you still keeping the Sabbath day today? Nope. I work on Saturday. I did a lot of work yesterday on Saturday. I was tired when I went home on Saturday. But let me tell you something. I kept the Sabbath day. Why? Because Jesus did it for me. Jesus did it for me. And you know how I, I got in on that? You know how I got in on that? I got into that Sabbath by entering into His rest. I got into that by ceasing from my labors. 
I got into that by saying, I can't work my way to heaven. I can't be good enough to go to heaven. But Jesus Christ was good enough. Jesus Christ did keep all the laws. And I'm just going to trust in His work. And so because He kept the Sabbath day, I can't break that commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, if I tried. I can't do it. I'm saved. I've entered into His rest. I've ceased from my labors. I'm not, I'm not working for my salvation. But you know who is breaking that commandment of keeping, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? Is all these work salvation clowns. They're trying to work their way to heaven by good works. And maybe they rest on Saturday. But folks, if we bring up any law, we have to do the whole thing. Galatians teaches that. You're bound to do the whole thing. So just understand those words. It is finished. When people want to bring up the carnal ordinances, when they want to bring up the ceremonial things, just tell them, I've done every single one of them through Jesus Christ. My high priest did it for me. Every one of those things. How about you? That makes me feel good. That makes me feel like preaching like a camp meeting preacher out there. I think well, I'll get a little, you know, if you all weren't a bunch of Yankees, you all be running around the building right now. And you know, these clowns, they run around the building whooping and hollering and shouting over a guy getting up and preaching heresy, preaching you got to quit sinning in order to be, be saved. I'm up here preaching that Jesus Christ did it all for you. And, yeah, amen. I'm going down south, man. Get under the spout where the glory comes in. Bunch, bunch of Yankees, but I'm just having fun with you. Now I've totally lost my spot. So these things, they were a shadow of things to come. Look what it, that's what, it, it spells that out for us. In Colossians, it says these things, they were a shadow of things to come. Well, guess what? Those things came. The lamb that needed to be sacrificed came. All those things that pointed to Jesus Christ, they came, they were done. And so, we are not going to go back to any of those things that pointed to the coming of Christ and make those a part of our religion God said not to. But you know what we will do? We will keep the ordinances that He said to keep. Which just happened to be baptism, which points backwards to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The baptism, which is a very easy thing to do. And it's not, and even that isn't a part of our salvation. Even not being baptized won't send you to hell. Faith in Christ is what gets you saved. The Lord's Supper. Another very simple thing. We do that. Why? To remember His body that was broken for us. For us. To remember His blood that was shed for us. We do those ordinances. Those are a lot easier than the ordinances they had in the Old Testament. The Old Testament ordinances were hard. They had to be kept just right at just the right times, but yet, let me ask you, what dates are we supposed to keep the Lord's Supper? We do whenever we want. What did Jesus say? For often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show the Lord's death till He come. He didn't say, you know, and some people like to do it like the Wednesday before Easter. We usually do. That's fine. I'm all for that. But did Jesus command that it be done on that day? No. But if we want to do it that day and we're going to continue to do that, that's fine. But if we want to do it on Christmas, we'll do it on Christmas. If we want to do it Wednesday, we'll do it Wednesday. If we want to get together on a Saturday, on the Sabbath, and do it then. You all realize we can do that? We have that liberty now. 
in Christ. Man, I'm getting sidetracked on all kinds of things. So, while we should submit to civil ordinances, we should not submit to religious ordinances from the Old Testament. He said not to. Touch not, taste not, handle not. You know what that is? That's, that's a clear verse against the Hebrew Roots Movement. These people that want to bring in the blowing of the shofars, bring in their prayer, get people wearing prayer shawls, wearing yarmulkes, touch not, taste not, handle not. We're not going to touch that Hebrew roots garment garbage with a ten foot pole. We're not 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 even we're not even going to we're not going to fellowship with it. People who call Jesus Yeshua, all that crowd, we reject these people. We will have nothing to do with it. No Hebrew root stuff here. Somebody comes and wants to attend our church and they want to wear a yarmulke, we're going to throw them out for wearing a yarmulke. No, not necessarily for you know wearing a yarmulke, but for trying to impose a carnal ordinance from the Old Testament that God doesn't want us having anything to do with. We're not we're not going to do that. If they want to try to bring that junk in here, we're going to throw them out. Why? Because a little leaven leaven at the whole lump. If they want to bring in the yarmulkes, which I don't even see in the Bible, but if they want to bring any of those things, then they need to bring the entire package. And since we can't keep that, we're just going to take the blood of Christ and trust in that. So these ordinances, or some of these ordinances, they were against us in many cases too because of our race. Remember, it says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances... That was against us. Okay? Now let me ask you, how is thou shalt not kill against us? Man, how dare they put a law like that in our country? Stopping people from murdering me. People should have the right to murder me and steal from me. How is thou shalt not steal against us? Thou shalt not commit adultery. How are those laws negative towards us? But how about not eating shrimp? And bacon, alright? You know, and that, you know, we ought to be able to live that way, but that's, that's against us, alright folks? I'm sorry. Uh, I'm, gl- I'm glad. I'm glad that one's done. But what about, what about you know, an Ammonite and a Moabite? They weren't allowed to enter the congregation of the tenth generation. You know, and let's, let's look at some of these things. There were a lot that were against us, but, well, let's go, let's go to Ephesians. Chapter 4. Alright, so just, you know, we don't have time to turn to all, these, all the examples, but, there were many laws that excluded anyone that wasn't a Jew. So how are we supposed to do these things? How are we supposed to you know, have, have the fellowship? How are we supposed to be able to walk with God like they were able to do when these things are against us and there's nothing we can do to change it? How is that supposed to work? Well, look what it says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 4. There is one body and one Spirit even as ye are called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, when He saith, when He ascended up on high, He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now He that ascended, what is it? But that He also descended first into the lower parts of the earth, he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. Now what's this talking about right here? What is, what's he talking about when it says that he led captivity captive? Well, notice a theme here how there's one Lord, one faith, one faith, one baptism. There's one people of God. 
Okay? Now, what are the dispensationalists teaching today? You've got the church and Israel. Israel, the chosen people of God. You know, the church is the people of God. Two people. There's one Lord. There's one people. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. I wish I had time to just show you all the proof of what I'm about to tell you in Ephesians, but we don't have time. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 14, it says, For He is our peace, who hath made both one. Talking about Jew and Gentile. He made both one. And hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. You know, outside the temple, they had an inner court that the Jews were allowed to go into, but they had an outer court for the Gentiles. Boy, that's racist, isn't it? That would go over real good in America today, wouldn't it? You know, they had that back then. But you know what? Jesus broke that wall down. Having abolished in His flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in Himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that He might reconcile both Jew and Gentile unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were far off, and to them that were nigh, for through Him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. This was not like the same before Jesus Christ came. When Jesus Christ came, what did He do when He nailed those ordinances that were against us to His cross? What did He do when He slew the enmity thereby? I tell you what He was doing. He was leading captivity captive. Now what does that mean? Well, if you're a dispensational rucktard, what it means is Jesus went down to good hell in the heart of the earth and then went and delivered all the Old Testament saints and He took them up to heaven. Now where do you get that anywhere in the book of Ephesians? The book of Ephesians says nothing about that. But you know what the book of Ephesians does say? The book of Ephesians does say there were a people out there called Gentiles that had some ordinances that were against them. They were a people that were not the people of God. They had no hope in the world. They were just a bunch of heathens. And you know what? Jesus Christ came and all those ordinances that were against them, all those things that they couldn't keep because of the fact that they were Gentiles, because of the fact that they were sinful, Jesus Christ went and He took all those things away through the shedding of His blood. He nailed those things to His cross and all those, all those ordinances, all those things that were in these commandments that make us guilty of sin, that give us no hope of salvation. I mean, folks, if you want to try following that law, it's going to kick your rear. You'll never be able to keep that law. You'll never be able to come close. This law would mock you. It would make fun of you trying to keep it because you can't even come close. But then Jesus Christ comes along and He fulfills that law and He finishes that law. And you know what He did when He defeated all these things? When He fulfilled all these things? He made a show of them openly. When Jesus Christ was hanging there on the cross... He's paying for all of our sins. He's doing what we could never do. He's fulfilling the sacrifices. He's fulfilling all the ordinances. And He's making it now so whosoever will may come. The very laws that stopped us from being able to go to heaven, Jesus Christ took those things out of the way. He defeated those things. And now we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access to the Father by one Spirit. 
There are no longer two people anymore. There is no longer Jew and Gentile anymore. There is not God's chosen people over there, the Jews, because of where they physically descend from. No, there is a people of God. There is a people of faith. And we are a part of that today because Jesus Christ fulfilled those carnal ordinances. It's not Him leading captivity captive. It's not Him going down to good hell and getting all the Old Testament saints out. It was Him leading the things that held us captive. Our captivity. You know what our captivity was? It was all these laws that we couldn't keep. These are what held us captive. This law was what condemned us. And Jesus Christ went and He conquered that. He took it captive. And now, because of that, we don't when we when we go back and we read all those carnal ordinances, you know, it's not a problem. If you're somebody you got a crooked back or you've got a crooked nose and all those things, I mean physical deformities. If you have a physical deformity and you read that in the Old Testament, say, Ha! Jesus Christ defeated that. Jesus Christ took care of that. Hey, you didn't get circumcised on the eighth day. Oh well, Jesus Christ took care of that. He finished that. All these things that were against us, these things were finished by Jesus Christ. And the Bible spells it out for us what these things are. It was these carnal ordinances. It was these ceremonial things that were a picture of what was to come. Jesus finished those things for us. And even if you want to make certain uh, civil laws that are also called ordinances in the Old Testament, a part of that, you can go ahead and do that because the truth is, yes, if you a man lies with mankind as with womankind, that's going to finish him too. Alright? That that's gonna you know, he's not gonna go to heaven if he's doing stuff like that too. Just like if he if he murders somebody. But the thing is, understand those laws they were to help preserve people. Those were good things, and there's nowhere in the Bible where it says that he took away those things that were meant to protect us. It was those things that were against us. These ceremonial things. So look what it says in turn over to Leviticus chapter eighteen. Alright? So obviously a lot of these ordinances, they were a picture of Jesus Christ and his first coming and his sacrifice. But, also, there was another purpose for these laws. Okay, So understand, one of the purpose of these ceremonial laws, it was to point to Jesus Christ. But there's another purpose for these laws too, and it's important that we understand this. Alright? You've got to get this. This is good stuff here. It says in Leviticus 18, verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and <clears throat> say unto them, I am the Lord your God. After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein ye dwelt, shall ye not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whither I bring you, shall ye not do. Neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. Ye shall do my judgments and keep mine ordinances to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. So notice how God wanted Israel to be set apart from all other nations. God gave many laws as a way of distinguishing Israel from all other nations. Now, it's important that you get this. And these things were carnal ordinances. These were things that didn't necessarily hurt anybody, 
But God wanted the nation of Israel to be different than other nations. He wanted them to look different. He wanted them to be noticeably different. He wanted them to, to represent God in a good way that, that was pleasing to Him. So some of these ordinances that He gave, they were only for Israel, and for, uh, and for, but some were for anyone that was even in the land. So for example, we'll also look at Leviticus 18 and verse 22. It says, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thyself therewith. Neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down there too. It is confusion. Alright, now listen. I've showed you before how homosexuality it was always bad. It was bad before the law. It was bad after the law. But notice the, the, the specific reason God brought up homosexuality in this chapter is He's showing them throughout Leviticus 18 what the other nations are like and what He didn't want them to be like. And one of the things that was going on in other nations was homosexuality, bestiality. It says in verse 25, or 24, Defile not ye yourselves in any of these things, for in all these the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you, and the land is defiled. Therefore I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it, and the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. God's wanting to preserve them as a people. And the land was going to vomit them out if they did homosexuality. So God said, you know, God gave them that law but to protect them, but also to set them apart. And many of the laws that God gave were to set them apart, not even necessarily to protect them. For example, um, well, before we go to that one, so look at, um, look at verse 30. So he says, Therefore shall ye keep mine ordinance, that ye commit not any one of these abominable customs which were committed before you, and that ye defile not yourselves therein. I am the Lord your God." So notice how he's talking about these abominable customs. He's talking about these things that were an abomination to God. All right. Now look at what it says in. Uh, let's go to Deuteronomy chapter. Oh wait, not Deuteronomy fourteen. Yeah, Deuteronomy chapter fourteen. All right. So let me ask you. What about these dietary laws? Okay. What was the purpose of the dietary laws? Okay, because people are like, well, you know, you say homosexuality is punishable by death and it's an abomination. Well, you know, the Bible says it's an abomination to eat, you know, shellfish. Okay, can anybody show me where it says if you eat shellfish, you get put to death in the Bible? I can't see, I can't find where it says that. Everybody brings that up. Are you going to stone people for eating shellfish? Well, I guess if God said that we should, then I would say that we should, but it doesn't say that. Okay, and you know, it's interesting because. The, almost, the, you know, the Sodomites, they were an abomination to God. But notice what he says about these, uh, in these dietary laws. We're not going to read through all of them, but I want you to point this out because it's a good way to help distinguish these things. It says in verse 1, Ye are the children of the Lord your God. Ye shall not cut yourselves, nor make any boldness between your eyes for the dead. Who would do that? Probably some of those heathen that were out there. Look what else he said. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God, and He hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto Himself above all that nations are upon the earth. God wanted Israel to be separate. He wanted them to be special. They were a peculiar people. He wanted them to stand out from the world. And so then what does He say? Thou shalt 
not eat any abominable thing. Well, let me ask you, why would anything we eat be an abomination in the Old Testament when in the New Testament it's all good because it's sanctified by the Word of God in prayer? Okay? Why, why would it, that be an abomination in the Old Testament not be an abomination in the New Testament while homosexuality is an abomination in the Old Testament and yet we say that's still an abomination in the New Testament? What's the difference? Well, notice in verse 7. It says, Nevertheless, you shall not eat them that chew the cud or them that divide the cloven hoof uh, as the camel, as the hare, and the coney. For they chew the cud, but divide not the hoof. Therefore, they are unclean unto you. Verse 8, And the swine, because it divides not the hoof, yet cheweth not the cud. It is unclean unto you. Verse 10, And whatsoever hath not fins and scales, you may not eat it. It is unclean to you. Verse 19, And every creeping thing that flieth is unclean unto you. Verse 21, It says, You shall not eat anything that dieth of itself. Thou shalt give it unto the stranger that is in thy gates, that he may eat it. Well, that's interesting. Why is it not okay for the Jews to eat it, but it's okay for the stranger to eat it? You know why? Because the Jews were a special people. God was trying to set them apart. And He said, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. Thou, thou shalt not see the kid in his mother's milk. Okay. So notice, God gave them a specific dietary law that was different than the rest of the world. Why? To help distinguish them. Because what is one of the first things that we think of when we think about a certain people? Their food. Isn't that one of the first things that you think about? Okay, if, if you go to a Mexican restaurant, are you expecting to eat spaghetti and garlic bread? And Is that what you're expecting to get in a Mexican restaurant? Why not? Because yeah. that's not what they're known for. Okay? You know, if you go to an Italian restaurant, and those are gross. All right? My wife drug me to Olive Garden for our anniversary. That was disgusting. They have nothing good there. All right? I don't, I don't get Italian food, all right? But, you know, if you go to an Italian, I'm trying to think, you know, you're not going to expect to find chow mein and, you know, general so chicken. You're not, you're not going to expect to find that. Okay? Now, where do you expect to find chicken teriyaki and cat? And, you know, you know at the Chinese restaurant, right? Well, those are things that distinguish people. And they make a big deal. Uh, they make a big deal about that. And you know, God gave the Jews certain dietary things. Now, why did God tell them specifically, "Don't eat any pigs, don't eat this, don't eat that"? It was probably stuff that was gross to God. You know, it was probably stuff that maybe you know he was like, "I don't know why somebody want to eat that." You know, I, I don't know. But notice how God said, "These things are an abomination to you." Okay, the, to them that was supposed to be an abomination. God wanted them to be noticeably different and one of the things was in their dietary things. And when they ceased being a physical nation, God said, don't worry about that. He says, don't let any man judge you and meet. We're not supposed to do that. It's all good. It's all clean. It's sanctified by the Word of God in prayer. This is what helped make them a peculiar treasure. Look at what it says in Exodus chapter 19 and verse 5. I've got these scriptures in my notes all out of order, so I'm, I'm having trouble finding them. Exodus chapter 19 and verse 5. It says, 
Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. So God gave them things to just set them apart from everyone else. God wanted them even eating a certain way so people would notice. So whenever they go to their pagan friend's house and they're eating ham and they refuse ham, the wonderful delicacy of ham, you know, they would say, our God's told us not to do it. Why? You realize how good this stuff is? My, it looks disgusting to me. It's an abomination to me. I don't want to touch it. Why? You've never tried it. No, and I'm not going to try it. You know why? Because I'm just going to trust God. I'm just going to believe God. He doesn't want me to have it. And I think it was kind of the way they, they, you know, they practiced faith, but God gave that to them. But God took that away. Why? Because He knew we wouldn't be able to handle not eating bacon. You know, he, he, knew, he knew we couldn't live that way. I, I, I don't know. But notice though, uh, look at Deuteronomy chapter 14 in verse 2. So he said, For thou art an holy people in the Lord thy God, and the Lord God hath chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto Himself above all the nations that are upon the earth. So notice, in Deuteronomy 14.2, God told them they are peculiar people. They were a chosen people above all the nations that are on the earth. Now look at what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2 in verse 5. I like this here too, just to give it to the dispensationalists. Look what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. It says, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore, it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in sign a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. That's our mother Jews right there. They disallowed him. It says, A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient, whereunto they also they were appointed. Okay? Talking about the Jews. They were appointed to this stumbling. Why? Because the Bible prophesied that they were going to stumble. The Bible prophesied that the Jews who I just showed you, God called a peculiar treasure if they'll do His, follow His commandments. The people that God said, I have chosen you. Alright, the people that God made the priests. Notice here how in 1 Peter, how he's saying those who fell, the Jews, they fell as they were appointed to fall. It was prophesied they were going to do it. And then look what he says in verse 9, talking to believers. Saved believers. Gentile believers. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. Y'all see that? Now, let me ask you, as God's people today, while in the Old Testament, one of the things that they did that distinguished them from everybody else was their diet. The things they did, you know, ate or didn't eat. The circumcision on the eighth day. The, the sacrifices. 
the ceremonial things. All these things. And you know what else they did to distinguish them from everyone else? And I don't have the time to go on this. And I really wanted to spend some time on this because this is another thing that drives me nuts. You know another thing that they did that separated them from everybody else? They didn't wear mixed fabrics. Everybody loves to bring up the mixed fabrics. Look, turn to Leviticus 19, verse 19. I got to talk about, I had an idiot call me here the other day wanting to you know, tell me that I'm a homo because of the way my head shaped and because you know, I, you know, I'm so rough against them. It's because I'm just trying to hide the fact that I'm a homo. And then you know, I started talking about how I was an abomination. He was just like, well, do you wear mixed fabrics? Leviticus 19.19. And I said, I, said, what is, I just asked him, I said, what does Leviticus 19.19 say? Oh, I don't know. So tell me what it says. Well, I know, you know, he got it off a website somewhere. All right, he couldn't even tell me what it says, but he knew that Leviticus, you know, Leviticus 19, 19. I said, tell me what it says. You t- I said, you tell me right now. Said, well, I don't have a Bible in front of me right now. I was like, well, if you're going to bring it up, you know it so well, you ought to know what it says. Tell me what Leviticus 19, 19 says. I said, fine, I'll tell you what it says. So I read it to him. I said, now tell me, why did God give him that law? Uh, I don't know. And he started cussing and stuff. And I said, you know, see, here's your problem. I said, you're getting junk off the internet. You've never studied this. You've never looked into it. You don't understand the purpose of this law. You have no idea. You're just repeating what you're hearing from a bunch of atheists and fag theists. That's all you're doing. Let's look at what it says in Leviticus 19, verse 19. I'm sick of these idiots, man. And I'm sick, you know, and I don't care about so much about the atheists and stuff. It's the stinking Baptists that are using their arguments. Make me sick. It says, Ye shall keep my statutes. Thou shalt not let thy candle gender with the diverse kind. Thou shalt not sow the field with mingled seed. Neither shall a garment mingled of linen and woolen come upon thee, or you'll be put to death. Is that what it says? Does it say you'll be put to death if you wear linen and woolen together? Does it even say mixed fabrics? It just says linen and woolen. How come the King James people don't say, Do you wear garments of linen and woolen? When I went and I, I faced off with uh, protesters at the conference, you can see it on the video, there's this one just hideous, disgusting, annoying woman. I'm like standing there, so I was like, is that a polyester tie? <laughs> and I just ignored her because she was wanting to accuse me of wearing mixed fabrics and being an abomination. You know, that, 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 uh, and she just kept saying it. And I, and I, I was just ignoring her. I was like, do you think I'm going to take the time to go explain something like this to a freak? That's the last thing I'm going to do. All right, but I'll explain it to you all because I love you all. All right, but those people, I don't care about it. It says in Deuteronomy 22.9, it says, thou, in verse 11, Thou shalt not wear a garment of divers sorts as of wool and linen together. It's in Deuteronomy 2. Thou shalt make thee fringes upon the four quarters of thy vesture wherewith thou coverest thyself. Do you all put fringes on the quarters of your vesture? No, you know why? Because God has changed how He distinguishes us from all people. In the Old Testament, He gave them ordinances. He gave them a diet. He gave them a type of clothing that they would wear. Why? To distinguish them. Just like the you know, Amish do the same thing. They have their things too. So, why don't... You know, and, and why did God specifically that? You know, part of it might have been God doesn't want to be a bunch of slobs. He didn't want to be lazy. You know, on how they do things. He didn't want them looking like a bunch of freak shows. I don't know exactly. But here's, here's the real question. Okay, 
So God did that back then as a way to distinguish the people from all other nations. So what does He do today? Because I showed you in these passages where He told them, if you do these ordinances, you'll be a peculiar people. He said, if, you know, if you'll eat this food, if you won't eat this food, if you'll wear these clothes, if you won't wear these clothes, you will be a set-apart nation over all other nations. You will represent Me. Now, how do we do that today? Okay, because look at what it says here in 1 Peter 2 where the exact things that God said about Israel to introduce all these ordinances to them. God says the exact same thing about us. And He says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praise of Him who hath called you out of darkness to His marvelous light which in time past were not a people, but now are the people of God, which have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, that they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake whether it be the kings or supreme. Okay, you know how, and I don't have time to show all the examples, do you know how we show we are a separate people today? First off, by proclaiming Jesus Christ. Okay, What is it that we as Christians, how, how do we decide if someone's a Christian? By how many laws they keep or by who they profess? How do you know you're going to heaven? Well, if they're praising Jesus Christ, we'll say that person's saved. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to confess Christ. If they start saying, well, I don't wear mixed fabrics. I don't eat ham. I wear fringes on the quarters of my garments. We're going to say, you're not saved. Right? right? Also, we also proclaim we belong to Him by being baptized. Why? That is a picture of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. We also do it by taking the Lord's Supper. Those things identify us with Jesus Christ. He gave those to us. That is not for the whole world to do. That is for the church to do. You know what else we're supposed to do? And notice how he just, it's real simple. Remember how we talked about last week? When we have to start getting specific, that means we're an evil people. Okay? God should have just been able to say, love the Lord and love your neighbor, and that should have covered it. It's evil that makes it where you have to get more specific. But notice what he said here. He just said, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. You know what it's saying there? It didn't give a whole list of things. It's saying, hey, if these things are hurting your soul, if these things of the flesh are going to keep you away from Christ, stay away from those things. That's why we stay away from adultery. That's why we're supposed to flee fornication. The Bible said, I mean, it, those things, they hurt our soul. These are bad for our soul. The wickedness of this world, these things affect our soul. So we're going to preach against these sins. And we're going to try to represent Christ by keeping fleshly things out. <clears throat> but then notice too, he then says, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Okay? This is because this is a different kind of ordinance than what he's talking about in Colossians chapter 2. Talking about religious ordinances. We're not supposed to keep those. We're not supposed to touch those, taste not, handle not those. 
But we are supposed to follow the laws in our community. Why? So we will represent Christ in a good way. Notice how much easier it is to represent Christ today than it was back then. Isn't it so much easier today? Isn't it so much better? Isn't the new covenant better than the old covenant? Isn't Jesus a better high priest than the old high priest? Isn't the sacrifice the ordinance? Isn't it all better? Aren't you thankful for replacement theology? It's all so much better. And so these ceremonial observances, they're just something that the Bible teaches were finished by Christ. And just because God says something finished, it doesn't mean everything's finished. Okay? And, I mean, I, once again, evil is when you have to get specific. If we even have to have a discussion, how does homosexuality hurt your soul? We've got a real problem right there. I think it's safe to say that it destroys your soul. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that in Leviticus 18, one of the first things he mentions that you're not supposed to do like these heathen nations is cut yourselves in the flesh? Did you know some of these atheists that they were breaking down in an interview I did with a regular atheist, they were like talking about uh, how this homo, he was talking about how people who cut themselves and do all these painful things, they actually do it to soothe themselves, to comfort themselves from the internal pain that they have inside. Now listen, folks, and he's talking about it like it's a good thing. And I'm thinking, when you get comfort from cutting yourself and making yourself bleed, you're a reprobate. How is that not against the flesh? How is that not against nature to cut yourself up? But that's what wicked heathen do. Now, if we have to tell, make a rule in this church, folks, no cutting yourselves up. We got a problem. Y'all understand that? We got a real problem. And but we are supposed to avoid things that war against the soul. And if I've got to get specific on those things, we have a problem. I'll get specific if we need to. If you want to have, if you have questions, things, I'll be glad to answer those things. But understand, some of these things shouldn't be that hard. And we're going to shut it down right here, but I'm really hoping in these next weeks to kind of now, like I said, while I've been talking in general terms, it's, it's important that we get the spirit of these things. And I, I hope next week to kind of cover this. If you have questions on these things, ask. If there's certain passages, if you're, if you're having a trouble distinguishing after hearing these things, let me know. All right? I need to know what I'm not covering. All right? I need to know what's not clear. And I, and I hope to help you with that. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank You so much for Your goodness to us. Thank You for Your Word. Help us to learn from these things. Help us to abstain from fleshly lusts that war against the soul. And Lord, help us to rejoice in the fact that with these ordinances that were against us were finished by You, defeated by You. We thank You that You led captivity captive and that these things are no longer a threat to us. Lord, You, you, delivered, the, you delivered us from those things. We thank You for it. In Your name we pray. Amen.